Okay, I've got two suggestions for Netflix. For free, because I'm a nice person. A darts documentary, because darts is maybe the most electric sport that we and these guys don't are, cover. These guys are living colorful to. lives too, right? They are characters it's not even about in their the own. Sport, they're characters. Incredible yeah. sport, and you could call it. Here's a title for you: The Dart Side. Oh, oh, oh yeah, baby! Oh, the Dart okay. Side. Done. Netflix. You there know, you, go. you. We have to like rush to the patent agency. Seriously, I you just, cannot let that just float around the internet. The Dart Side. Here you go. Boom. Netflix documentary following the professional darts tour. Next. Damn. Free advice, free tip. Here you go, Netflix. A fishing documentary, because if you think way back, there was that fishing scandal, and yes. you helped bring this one to light during the commercial break, where they were putting fake fish and stuffing fish and winning competition. It's the whole world out there, the fishing mm-hmm. competitions. So you follow some of these guys around Orangeville. and I don't want to offend the fishing Timmins. community, but I feel like there will be like... On the path to Tiger King, like some real, 100%. some real weird characters. We would uncover might be on, some, at the fringes of the fishing it would, community. It could become at a least criminal competition, a criminal community. case. We would find. <laughs> yes, we thought we were telling a sports story. We were telling a crime story. And you know what we're going to call it? Hook, line, and sinker. Oh my gosh! Now I know why you're excited to get through the commercial break. Or secondary title. Or what? what is it, like the sub line, the second line? Real life, but R-E-E-L. <laughs> Honestly. Nice. Nice. Well, no, we're there. Oh, we're there. Okay. I guarantee you one day these ideas will be put into action. No problem. You just remember they're here. Fan Morning Show, Thursday, February the 23rd at 7.04 a.m. Where to come from? I'm all right. There you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's hard transition. <laughs> to basketball in Ernie Johnson. We were able to catch up with Ernie, who, of course, hosts the best, you know, basketball panel you could possibly imagine on TNT inside the NBA with Chuck and Shaq and Kenny. And, you know, they were poking fun at Utah all weekend long, but we had to get, we had to, get to the bottom of it. Was Utah really that bad for an all-star location? That and more with Ernie Johnson right now. All-Star Weekend in the rearview mirror now. Uh, home from Utah, I assume, Ernie Johnson. Uh, can you give us some Utah highlights? That was a big that was a big story. It's like NBA All-Star, all the elites heading down to Utah. What was it like, an All-Star game for the NBA in Utah? Hey, it was, it was a fun weekend. It always is. And, uh, you know, I think when you, when you look at the events, I mean, there were some that were more entertaining than others, but I think everybody was entertained. I mean, Mac McClung winning the dunk was awesome. Um, the three-point was fun. I had a great time with the draft. I think, you know, we finally saw that happen live with nobody knowing right up until nearly game time who was going to play for who. Uh, the game wasn't as dramatic as you would like with the target score, but, hey, you can't have everything, and you saw somebody score 55, which has never happened before. So, no, it was fun, and, and the folks in Salt Lake City were just uh, were tremendous hosts. Uh, really, uh, the hospitality was off the charts. We had a great time, and, and we didn't get snowed in. That was the most important. There you go. That is important. I, I'd actually argue it was perfect. I mean, attendance was not an issue with a NBA All-Star game in Utah, and you got your buddies, Shaq and Chuck, getting you know free reign to make jokes about where they were. So uh, <laughs> was it better than, I guess you are saying it's better than what Shaq and, and Chuck made it out to be? Oh, I mean, 
you you can never I mean at one moment they're saying man this is the greatest you folks are great and then it's like hey there's nothing to do so I mean it's like uh, I, I think that everybody had a good time, and I love it when we take the show on the road because it's great to be able to talk to folks face to face. Who, you know, I mean, without the fans watching, we, you know, you know, we don't we don't work. So it's like uh, I always I always like those uh, those times where you can interact and and uh, and I I just thought and for me personally, it's still one of the one of the highlights of the weekend is is the all-star legends brunch. I always love that. It's kind of like this oasis in the midst of the madness where you can go for a couple hours and, and see the guys who, you know, who built this league and, uh, and honor them. So it was, it was really, uh, it was, it was a great weekend. It really was. For us, I think the the best moment might, might have been the Mac McClung story. Um, the All-Star weekend has a lot of highlights, and I think the dunk contest sometimes can be that and sometimes can be a bit of a letdown. But just how incredible has that story been? The five days from being a G-leaguer to, to making the, the All-Star weekend to dunking and winning basically your career earnings in one hour. Uh, how, how cool was it to be a part of watching that? No, I just I thought, look, there's one of two things are gonna are gonna happen when you've got a guy who was just signed a ten day and had played in two games in the NBA last year. I mean, one for the Bulls, one for the Lakers. Either he's gonna seize the moment or he's gonna seize up and the lights are gonna be too bright. And to his credit, I mean it was just here, I'm gonna do four dunks and I'm gonna do them all on the first try and I'm gonna you know, knock your socks off with all of them. So I just thought it was great to see, and I and I thought the whole pace of the slam dunk was much better this year because guys were actually making dunks, and people weren't just sitting there waiting for somebody to finally, you know, get the right bounce or the right carom off the off the board. Um, I just thought it was. I just thought that part of it was was really really good, and that followed up a really good three point. So um, I guess you can't have everything. You know, you might say, hey, I want those to be sensational and I want the game to come right down to the buzzer. You can't have it all. But I think what we did get was sure a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of things we can't have, but maybe we dream of, um, Pascal Siakam got an opportunity to to make some of, some of an impact at the All-Star Weekend, but he posted a photo with Shea. And our Canadian guy, we have a big heart for him. We dream of Shea, Ernie. We dream of Shea. We dream of him. (laughs) And I know it's far-fetched, but to see a young Canadian guy just light it up like he did and also have immaculate style, um, he's just been a a delight for us to cover up here, even though he's not part of the Raptors, and he liked to tease that with Pascal. But uh, what do you like about the Canadian talent in Shea? Oh, yeah. I mean, fourth Canadian to make the all-star team, and I think he's – I mean, when, when you've watched him this year, uh, just, just the way he has exploded. I mean, he's been, he's been good. He's been solid, but, uh, to see all the 30 point games he's had and to see how he's taken over. And, you know, I think he's led that team in scoring like 47 of the 53 games he's played, uh, this year. So, um, no, he's, he's a dynamic talent. And I know Charles was saying, you know, he should be a starter. He should be a starter. That's a real tough nut to crack. I mean, when you got, when you've got, you know, Steph Curry out there, you got Luka Doncic in the backcourt out there, but certainly was deserving and, and it was great to see. It's it's always it's cool for me, like when we were doing the draft, to turn around and see the first timers out there who were on this stage looking out at this sellout crowd and, and uh, you just feel really happy for them. 
So the Raptors trade deadline uh, was an interesting one, uh, hotly debated here north of the border. It kind of leads straight into All-Star Weekend. We got this natural break, and now we get to look forward to what happened and what the team looks like after uh, the trade deadline. But what, what what did you make of what Masai Ujiri did and didn't do? Adding Jakob Pertl, adding in general, being a buyer was certainly an interesting decision on his part, and it sets him up for a complicated summer, we'll put it that way, but this team is better. So what are your thoughts on what the Raptors managed to do and what they didn't do at the trade deadline? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think everybody was kind of expecting this uh, this mass exodus. You know, you're talking about all these guys who could go, you know, and OG Ananobi or Gary Trent, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then you wind up adding a big man. And so, uh, you know, maybe they're trying to, you know, I, I would, I, I'm not going to question what's going on in Masai's uh, mind because he's, uh, he's a great basketball mind and he has done great things here. So I, and I, and, and um, so I think, I think you're, maybe you're going a little more traditional when you get a, when you get a, a big like Pirtle in there. Um, but I, you know, when he showed, you know, a pretty good debut when he, when he came in is he's made a good first impression the thing about the thing about the Raptors, uh, to me, it's just it's, it's win close games. That's been the that's been the biggest thing for me. I mean, you, you talk about games decided by three or less, and they're four and ten. They're five and thirteen, four or less, and and so you kind of think, hey, look, if you had taken care of business in these close games, maybe you wouldn't be talking about, hey, you've got the last play in spot right now. Maybe you'd be a little more comfortable at this point. But I I just think that's a team that with the talent that you have, uh, because on given nights, Pascal, uh, Freddie, uh, Scotty Barnes, these guys can put up great numbers and this team can look really good, but man, you just got to close the deal. So if, you, if they had taken care of business uh, in those close games to me, uh, then maybe you're not having these discussions, although it's, look, it's, it's not been a, it's been a disappointing season and, and I'm looking at it as I as I get ready for tomorrow night's there are nine games or Thursday night's nine games. It's like to match last year, you need to go twenty and three down the stretch. That's not going to happen. So, um, uh, and part of that to me is also just a lack of consistency. And uh, another number I see the Raptors have had a three game winning streak. That's the longest this year. And last year, you had it. You had five winning streaks of at least five. Nobody in basketball had more than that. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a bit of a down year. It hasn't matched the expectations maybe, but uh, you get yourself into position to, to at least be in that play in and maybe you move up a little past that. And then who knows what happens in a playoff series. But uh, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a bit of a down year for, but I just, I, I don't think there's, uh, that you need to despair at this point. I've, I've got faith in some of those guys that you've got on the roster that maybe maybe you do put something together here late. This might not be an easy answer, but you mentioned the Raptors in close games and that 4-10 and 10 record. What is it that makes a team 10-4? and four? Is it the ability to be clutch? Is it just having that confidence in the last moments that you can be the one to deliver and, and sharing the ball in that sense where, hey, I'm going to put you in the best opportunity to be the guy that does this. Um, is there a simple fix? Is it the addition of Jakob Pertl, which I don't think is the, the one solution they're looking for, but that is a very significant stat, and it's something that we talk about all the time. Is it's like it, 
it, if you could just flip that around, it'd be a completely different team. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's, you know, it, that is a very kind of a nebulous thing. Well, here's, here's the reason you don't win close games. It's just like, it's just, sometimes you get in that situation and, and maybe it's a mental mistake. Maybe it's a physical mistake, whatever it is. But I just know that um, you got too many quality guys to, to have that kind of a record in those kind of games. Sometimes you expect that out of a really young team. And you say, well, they're just trying to learn how to win. Um, and and it's, just, it's just not happening. And that's the way the numbers shake out at this point. But, um, I, I, again, I would say for a team that does what the Raptors do, I mean, they turn you over a lot. Um, and they take care of the ball. Um, I mean, so to me, that's that's like, how can this record be like that in close games when this is the team that's, that's number one in the league and fewest turnovers and, and leads the league in, in the points off turnovers? You know, why does this happen? Um, and, and also, much of it comes down to, what do we say? It's a make-or-miss league? Look, your 26th in field goal percentage. Uh, your 27th in field goal percentage against. Your 27th shooting the three ball. You don't defend the three well. So, yeah, there are a lot of factors that go into that and, and certainly things that need to be righted if you're going to tr- even entertain the thought of, of making a uh, deep playoff. Yeah, it seems or like... Or making sh- playoffs at all. Sorry, Ernie. I think shot making explains a lot of it, right? If you have the guys who can make yeah. shots in those late game moments, uh, you're setting yourself up to have success. Uh, the most questioned, I think, decision Masai Ujiri made was to hold on to OG Ananobi. Uh, but I think that works both ways, right? Like, I think there are a couple teams out there who are going to wish they probably pulled the trigger on whatever Masai Ujiri wanted in exchange for OG Ananobi because he could be a game changer for a potential a team that's looking to do some serious damage in the postseason. Do you think there'll be some OG regret around the NBA over the back half of the season? Uh, we will, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I certainly think there's a, there's a lot of value in a guy like that. And I, even though this look, we're in a, we're in a, uh, a period of, of this NBA where defense is, is, uh, like an afterthought where, you know, maybe you'd like to have, uh, a guy who can lock you down like OGA, uh, OGA. Uh, but I mean, when you look at what's going on in the league, uh, there's just this emphasis, and look, I'm just going to outscore the other guy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of the number. I mean, teams are like when you score under 100, teams are like 20 and 155 or something this year. And 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 it's and so um, I think it, I think there's more emphasis on offense and how do we and how do we get more high octane and that kind of thing. But I like o, OG as a as a player, and I think I think he'll be around for a long time, and I. Um, you know, enjoy him while you got him. That's for sure. And, and but I, I was surprised to see him still wearing that, uh, still wearing the Raptor uniform after the uh, after the break. I think the biggest news item from the All Star Weekend was the Giannis injury and what that might mean for the Milwaukee Bucks. Is there a sense that this could, you know, kind of change the landscape in the Eastern Conference? Uh, what Giannis is dealing with and sort of the mystery around it? Um, well, certainly. I mean, certainly. It could, but I just I have no idea how bad it is, and and and, and we don't know. We'll see. we'll see. And and here's the thing: I thought Milwaukee had the. I think Milwaukee could have gone to the finals last year. Maybe they could have won the the whole thing, 
if Chris Middleton had been available. You know, I think I think that's a very complete team when you've got those two and you got Brooke Lopez and on and on. But uh, obviously, if this is anything that that lasts a substantial amount of time, then then Boston is basically you can just write your ticket to the NBA Finals in my mind. Uh, but I think as long as Milwaukee's got Giannis, I mean, it seems like a, an obvious thing to say. Look, if he's not around, then they're not going anywhere. We were uh, speaking to Ernie Johnson. Um, Charles Barkley at the All-Star Weekend, he has lots of fun viral clips, including um, the fun feud with Draymond Green talking about the Warriors, and he said they were cooked, and obviously they had that little epic back and forth. But if we're talking about injury and we're talking about teams that might be struggling, um, the Warriors have dealt with their fair share of injuries, um, and they're in a bit of the middle of the pack right now in the West Western Conference. Uh, I don't know if I can ask you if they're cooked, but they have a bit of an uphill battle, do they not? Yeah, yeah, sure they do. Um, I mean, it's like it's like the Giannis thing. I mean, if Steph Curry's not not available, then you're not then you're not going anywhere. Uh, and here they are sitting at at twenty nine and twenty nine, and and they're in the play in situation right now. But but again, you can get carried away looking at that number in front of the in front of the team name, and you got to look down here and say, okay, they're twenty nine and twenty nine, but the number four team, the Clippers, have twenty eight losses, and so. Uh, there's so much that can happen in these last 20, 23 games that uh, even on a, on a night to night basis, teams can drop two spots, you know? So let's, uh, you, you can't even have any discussion of what the Warriors are going to do until we know what Steph is going to do. Uh, you know, he's, he's got that kind of juice that, uh, you know, if he's, if he's there, Golden State, has a chance to put something together. If he's not, then then as Charles says, they are cooked. But I think it's too it's too early to say they're cooked now until we know what Steph's status is going to be for the second half and for the playoffs. Fascinating debut coming with Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns. Do you believe in that mix that they have now after acquiring uh, Kevin Durant? I believe in it a lot more than I did before the trade, that's for sure. But, I, I mean, look, um, when you can put that group on the floor with uh, – you know, Book and and KD, Aiton, Chris Paul. I mean, yeah, this you automatically interject yourself into that conversation because as good as Denver's record has been, um, I don't I don't know that that the Nuggets strike fear into the hearts of anybody out there. It's, and, and so, uh, and and that's no shade on on the Nuggets. They've had a great season. The Joker might be the MVP again, but. Um, but I, I just don't think anybody has that air of invincibility out there in the West. So if you improve yourself as much as Phoenix did, um, yeah, you're right there. And, and you know, being, I don't know if they're going to be able to, to catch Denver because you're 10 back on the loss side with 20, you know, 22 to play or whatever it is. But they have certainly positioned themselves. If Kevin Durant can do it, can play every night. You know, again, health is just huge in this league. And, and when you've, and when you've got high profile marquee guys like, like Giannis and like Steph and like KD, if they can play, if you can count on putting them in the lineup every night, then you're a championship factor. Phoenix certainly is that with, with this mix after the deal. 
How about the elixir or the concoction of Kyrie and Luca mixing together and uh, hopefully finding a way to, to grow chemistry and grow results on that team? Yeah, let's see. I mean, that's, that's again, one of those, one of those, is this going to work? And so far when they've played together, it hasn't. I mean, I think the, the thing is that one of the games that they lost, that it was coming right down to the, to the last uh, bucket was, you know, who's going to shoot it. And it was almost like, like these guys trying to be too unselfish. It was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take this shot. You take this shot. No, no, no. I couldn't possibly. You take the shot. No, no, no. It's you. And and then you wind up with no shot at the buzzer. And so I think they'll work their way through that. Uh, it was just it was just interesting to see because everybody's always asked, okay, when the game comes down to the line, who's going to be the guy to take the last shot? Is it going to be Luca or is it going to be Kyrie? Well, it's going to be neither of them because they kept passing it back and forth and nobody got an open shot. So uh, I think they will work their way through that. I also I just think that's a uh, uh, that's a that's a that's a a tandem that if you're facing them, that's tough to handle. But let's see if they have enough around them, uh, you know. Christian Wood, Tim Hardaway Jr., et cetera. Let's see if they've got enough around them uh, to make the kind of run they made last year. I've, they've already lost nearly as many games as they lost last year when they went to the Western Conference Finals. So um, let's see how these last 20, 22 play out. Last one for you, Ernie. If you believe LeBron James, 23 of the most important games of his career are on deck. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, a motivational thing. I don't know if that's legit. I don't really know what's going on with LeBron James nowadays, but do you think there's, do you think there's something else? Is there another moment in LeBron James career or is it going to be much of the same? Do you believe that the Lakers can make something of this, that maybe there's uh, another chapter for LeBron James or are we kind of seeing what we're seeing, which is a guy having maybe the last few years of his career squandered to a certain extent, but a guy who shows up an all-star weekend is excited about that and, and, and just likes being LeBron James. Well, no, I mean, I think he's, I think, uh, he's gotten he's gotten a little bit of juice here out of the trade deadline too. I think when he looks at this and sees, okay, I got the D'Angelo Russell out here. We've made the made the deal for Rui Hachimura. We've got some different pieces here. I think that he's as interested and in, as the NBA fan is to say, hey, look with these changes. Um, again, if everybody is playing, and I think and I think LeBron is kind of uh, not only. Uh, some self-motivation there, but kind of this is the message to the rest of these guys. These games are huge, he's saying. You know, he's saying in in terms of regular season uh, that, you know, these are the biggest games of his life, and I don't know if that's an exaggeration of it. It might be, but uh, in terms of being 38 years old and being the leader of this team and being in the position they are right now on the outside looking in, he's trying to say, look, these last 20, let's take it. Let's take advantage of this. Let's take advantage of the new guys we got, and let's make a push. Uh, because, again, 32 losses, you're gonna, you got some work to do. And so uh, I think it is. It's a motivation thing. And I think that uh, if, you, if you doubt what he's able to do at the age of 38, and his, and his year has been tremendous, then I think, I think he really does look at this and say, I'm going to prove all these guys wrong and say we're not going to make the playoffs. And, and – uh, and take them there and then follow me into it again. It always helps if you got AD who's, who's able to, who's able to play night in night out too. Uh, it should be a fascinating close to the NBA season. And thankfully we got the TNT panel 
to take us through it. Uh, we appreciate the time, Ernie, and we look forward to uh, watching all the TNT content down the stretch of the season. <laughs> Thanks again. Hey, it's uh, it's always great to be on uh, the Fan Morning Show, and uh, and I appreciate talking to y'all and. Hang with the, hang with those Raptors. They'll be okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, we'll do our best. Be all right. Thanks, Ernie. Appreciate right. it. Talk soon. Well, talk to you later, guys. Bye bye. Ernie Johnson, host of Inside the NBA on TNT, an absolute professional, a legend, a beauty. Loves being on the Fan Morning Show. He's. I love that he said that too. It was really. He's just. He's the best of the best. <laughs> he is the best of the best. We are glad to get him. Thanks, Danielle. Danielle just knocking it out of the park lately. Um, we do have just a run of great guests today. We've got Dan Schulman on the other side of the break, so let's get into something to chew on, brought to you by Gr- Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Great. A little Tony, I was going to say a little Tony the Tiger <laughs> I got there. a little Tony the Tiger great. in me. <laughs> great Canadian Meats, Mark Shapiro. <laughs> Speaking of loony dogs, um, okay, <laughs> let's transition here. Shapiro was speaking to media down in Dunedin yesterday for approximately 45 minutes, really just putting himself through the ringer here. Lots of good questions, including the pitch clock, which is going to be just a point of conversation until the end of time. Big time. It is now being introduced, and we are going to see how it affects not only the pitchers, the catchers, and the hitters. And so he was asked why it will improve the sport. I'm not sure if you agree with this whatsoever, but let's play the clip. Well, I mean, I think the one that's most exciting for me will probably take the longest, and that's the pitch clock because it will, you know, other than the guys that have played in the minor leagues the last two seasons, the last two or three seasons, it's going to be something that that is a change to the way they go about their business. But we've seen that transition at the minor league level. It takes about four to six weeks, you know, before guys adapt to it. I know it'll be uncomfortable. We hope to get some of that out of the way down here in spring training games. Uh, but what the outcome of that, is a much improved game that I think our fans will really appreciate with a lot less dead time and a lot more action. Okay, so pitch clock going to come in and reportedly be able to remove about thirty minutes of play time or of waiting time, speed up the games. I mean, that's outstanding. It is one hundred percent. That is a hell of a stat. Thirty minutes is that's valuable time. It's thirty minutes for Looney Dog. So, um, what do you think about the pitch clock? I, I'm like stance? trying What's to visualize take? it. Maybe I haven't like dug into this as much as I should. Like, what's the penalty for not getting, you know, Your getting the pitch demoted. off and down? Like, I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but I feel like there's going to be issues. Oh, yeah. Like, there's counting down. Uh, what happens if you don't get it off? If, is like, when does it start? When everyone's ready? When they start looking at each other? Like, there's like this like weird tacit agreement between a pitcher and a batter. Like, this is us being set. We're ready to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this is all going to work. I'm excited to see it though, and I'm excited to save a half hour. I will say, <laughs> I don't want the pitch clock in the playoffs though. Okay, well, you can have what your cake and eat yeah, you it can. too. I can. Okay, well, you I live in I a can. fantasy world, so no, I think I can. Let's see if. Our next guest, Dan Schulman, agrees with you that that's a possibility. He'll have a better take than mine. He always does. Uh, Dan Schulman on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Jays baseball right around the corner, we believe. Saturday, the first game of Grapefruit League. <laughs> Love that, right? Sunday, first one on TV. Dan Schulman, who is the best of the best. It gonna, begins. Going to be alongside us all year long. 
for Sportsnet. We're glad to have him. It's been a while since we got to chat with Dan, which means he's our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's Dan Schulman, Blue Jays, play-by-play announcer at Sportsnet. And, of course, college basketball on ESPN, which we'll have to get to because March Madness is right around the corner. But, Dan, great to have you. It's been a while since we chatted. How are you been? I'm doing great. Good to hear your voices. You guys oh. surviving surviving winter okay? <laughs> yeah, we are. We got it dumped yeah. on this morning with a couple feet of snow, it feels like. so. Bayless drove straight through some mounds today, <laughs> and did. She, she did make it. I ramped my oh. car up over a mound, and I arrived to work. So we are oh. all good. Um, oh. Yeah, we're, we're surviving. Um, what's, the, what's the excitement like around getting back into the baseball swing of things down at the ballpark and just the idea that we're right around the corner? Yeah, I, I can't wait. I, I mean, you know, everybody loves spring training and the optimism of spring and all that. And, and like you said, Ailish, I'm still doing college basketball, so I'm not, you know, down in Dunedin yet. I'm about two and a half, three weeks away from getting down to Dunedin. But um, I, I'm really excited. I mean, I get excited for every season, but between, you know, how good the team looks and the changes to the ballpark and just loving doing baseball games, I, I can't wait to get going. Okay, so changes to the ballpark we'll get to, and we're excited to see what Rogers Center shakes out to be like. But the big thing that we were talking about before he brought you in was the changes to some rules, the pitch clock especially. Um, How it's going to affect not only pitchers, catchers, and batters um, is going to be a a very fun investigative process over spring training. Um, Your initial thoughts on just maybe the hurdles that everyone's going to have to overcome. Yeah, it'll be an adjustment for some guys, especially, you know, whether it's like a J.D. Martinez as a hitter who's got a, you know, a very elaborate routine between pitches or or some pitchers who work slower. You know, I know Jordan Romano's been working on a little bit down in Florida, but I I think honestly by May 1st, I think it'll be like, oh, why didn't we do this 10 years ago? And everybody will be used to it. There'll be some grumbling. There's no question there'll be some grumbling, but uh, I think everybody will get used to it, and I think the game will move much better. Um, you know, as I'm sure you guys have, have discussed, minor league games um, were about 25 minutes shorter on average with a pitch that's clock. Nice. And that's not 25 minutes of action. That's 25 minutes of nothing. So um, uh, I, I think it's great, and, and I think people will learn to get used to it very, very quickly. I think the fans will love it. Uh, and, and I, I like, I like the rules that are coming in. I, I wasn't all on board with the no shifting one at the beginning, but I am in favor of that. Now the larger bases too. Uh, I think it's mostly for safety reasons, but also it might, uh, lead to more stolen base attempts, which are crowd pleasers. So I, I think these are all good changes. What changed your mind on the shift? Um, not enough balls in play. Just, uh, I believe that baseball has a lot of athleticism to it. And I think speed and defense are, are two parts of that. I, I guess at the beginning of it, Justin, I was one of these guys who said, well, just take advantage of it. Hitters will just, you know, hit the ball the other way and it'll be fine. And, and, you know, things will wind up being the way they're meant to be, you know, the natural ebb and flow of the game will take it there, but it didn't happen. And, and, um, there are, there are too many guys hitting balls hard that aren't getting rewarded for it. There are too many strikeouts. There's not enough action. I, I, I think it's not, you know, and, and so time of game and then action within game are two separate things, right? Pitch clock addresses time of game. I, I think um, outlawing the shift, I, I think is going to bring back more good defense, more balls in play and, and, and really show off the athleticism of, of players more. And I think as a hitter, it'll be more about hitting the ball hard rather than hitting the ball in a certain direction. And the game will be decided more by the athletes on the field than the, you know, the algorithms and the baseball ops departments. And and there's a place for that. Like I am pro analytics. I'm not 
anti-analytics, but I, I, I just want to see, um, you, you know, more guys running around the bases and more fielders making great plays. And I, and I think by banning the shift, hopefully we'll see more of that. You like the pitch clock because it means you have to work less, right? It means I have yeah, I get home 25 <laughs> minutes earlier. <laughs> we like it, too, because we're up late watching. It's like, yeah. oh, there's 30 minutes more of sleep. Right. <laughs> we're all on board. You, you, you can go to bed at 9.30 instead of 10. Or I mean, it might be the best for us. It's, I think yeah. we're winning the most <laughs> from this. Yeah. Um, okay, so talking about the shift, talking about getting balls in play, um, the Blue Jays have integrated some lefties into their lineup, which was an off-season goal, um, which they've achieved. How do you think that they will line up this batting order? I mean, in a, let's take out the context of who's at, on the mound and who's catching, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, what's the ideal lineup for you and how to get these lefties in there? So it's a great question, one we could talk about for, like, two hours. Yeah, sure. But as you, guys, yeah, as you guys probably remember, I've, I've always been on the they-need-to-balance-the-lineup mm-hmm. train. I, I always thought that. And... Uh, not that Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. didn't do some really good things for this team because they did, and you got to give up something to get something. But there was an element of sameness to the lineup, and I felt, um, and, and I know a lot of people on the team, you know, and within the sport felt too, you know, once a pitcher can lock in, certain kinds of pitchers, especially late in games, uh, power right-handed relievers, like there's, they just didn't present enough uh, variety in the lineup at times to be the best version of themselves. Yes, I know that we're a really good offensive team. Um, they might give up a little thump, like they might not replace all the thump they had, although I think they will. Uh, better base running, better outfield defense, and, and better balance. What's the best lineup? Great question. So um, <laughs> let's put Springer one. Mm-hmm. Let's put Kiermaier nine, and then let's work. I you were going to say two. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> what, did you have Kiermaier two? No, because oh, you said Kiermaier two uh, as your next word. I thought, oh, my God, he's oh, something's no, no, going no, no, on no. with Dan. We no, don't no, need no, a lefty that bad, do we? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think, I think oh, Kiermaier funny. will be nine, yeah. and I think Merrifield will be eight. I think okay. Whit Merrifield is going to play a lot. But let, let's assume it's a righty on the mound. So mm-hmm. I got Merrifield at second base batting eight. Bo and Vladdy are obviously either in some order, two, three, two, four, three, four, somewhere in there. Um, I think you've got to have a lefty in the top four, in my opinion. I don't, whether it's second or fourth or, you know, I think that can sort itself out. But my guess would be Springer. See, I like Bo driving in runs and, as opposed to being in more of a table setter role. But let, let's put Bo two, Vladdy three. And then Belt and Varsho to me are almost interchangeable mm-hmm. right now. Like whoever's hotter, whoever has a better spring, right? One of them four, Kirk five, the other one of Belt and Varsho six. Uh, who am I missing? Uh, who's who's got to be uh, Chapman seven? Oh yeah. <laughs> like think about like think about that. Matt That's Chapman, pretty good. Seven, <laughs> uh, Merrifield eight, and Kiermaier nine. And I've shortchanged Danny Jansen here, right? So. Like Danny Jansen's going to play a lot, and he could hit if he hits like he did last year. He could hit fifth, or he could hit seventh, and Chapman could go up to five on those days. But and they've got some interesting things to figure out. Like you know, Belt's going to DH a lot against righties, or Vladdy can DH and Belt can play first, and then against lefties, I figure either Kirk or Springer DHs sometimes. Um, and there's still one more. I think there might be one more piece coming for the outfield or maybe a guy like Winton Bernard makes the team and platoons hits against lefties, that sort of thing. But I think they're better. I, I, again, I know two very popular players are gone, 
but I think they're much more well-rounded and they're going to be able to win games in a lot of different ways this year that maybe they couldn't win them in the past. So this was our dilemma yesterday when we were going through it. Uh, Ailish was trying to shoehorn, as you did, a lefty into the top four, and I'm thinking, like, are, are they good enough? You said, hey, we right. might be giving up enough, or we might be giving up some thump here. We might be giving up, you know, you might be making concessions, I guess was my argument, if you're trying to get a lefty into the top four. But it does make yep. all the sense in the world. So I I guess the question is, when you look at the lineup and you're trying to construct and you look at the offseason and you're c- trying to construct, did they get enough impact with these lefty bats? Right. So one other thing you could do is you could have lefties five, seven, nine, like that's not the end of the world, right? You just don't want them, you know, six, seven, eight. That doesn't make sense. That's making you the job of the other manager very easy. So they could go five, seven, nine. You're right. Like if Alejandro Kirk hits like he did in May, June of last year, he's going to, he's going to hit fourth. Um, I I also think too, and I, I know the team thinks this way, is sometimes it's a lot more in depth than just righty and lefty that maybe there's a righty on the mound, but this particular righty, they feel the righties will hit better than the lefties because of whatever arsenal, arm angle, location, whatever it is. You know, sometimes righty lefty is, is oversimplifying it a little bit. But whether the lefties are four six nine or five seven nine or something like that, you know, you asked Justin just before we, we lost each other, like, did they get enough? I think they got good left handed bat. I think Brandon Belt's a real wild card. Like if Brandon Belt is the belt of twenty one, they they you know, they have something there, and hopefully he's healthy. But I think the guys they brought in, are, they didn't bring them in just for lineup balance and just for offense. They're a much better defensive team, in the outfield especially, uh, or exclusive, that's where the changes are, and they're a much better base running team. Like, with the new rules, um, I think, you know, a full year of Merrifield and Kiermaier at the bottom of the order, I think this is going to be a different kind of team. It's not just going to thump its way to victories. It might defense its way to a win. It might base running its way to a win. And and I I think they're better suited to win games in different ways. So, yeah, the offense might take a step back 5%, but I think they're going to improve enough in other areas to more than compensate for that. We are speaking with Dan Schulman, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer with us at Sportsnet. Um, Okay, some other big storylines coming out from Blue Jays spring training in the offseason was um, Jose Barrios taking some major offseason mechanical steps to adjusting his approach. Um, Early returns, I know you're not right down there at Dunedin, but just the idea of him working extremely hard to make some tweaks that hopefully will turn his, uh, his disappointing season around. You know, it's funny, been doing this a long time, and I can never remember a season where the results a pitcher was getting were as confusing to me as, mm-hmm. as Jose Barrios last year because his velocity was virtually identical. The movement on his pitches was there, and he talked about it. I saw some quotes for him yesterday or the day before saying he was wild in the strike zone, and, and what he meant was he wasn't on the edges. He was down the middle. Like, he was throwing – he was – making mistakes with location. And that's what it felt like. Like there'd be some, if you look at his uh, game logs from last year, say he made 32, um, 21 or 22 of them were really good. Mm. But the ones that were bad were really bad. So the first thing you think about is, was he tipping? And they kept moving him around on the rubber and changing his glove location and stuff like that. But sometimes it just felt like, uh, you know, he got in a little bit of trouble and he couldn't get out of it. And he would have an inning, for example, instead of it going like home run, single walk, single, it went single walk, single home run. So instead of one or two runs, it was four. Like the home run always seemed to come last. But he didn't pitch well. He didn't pitch well enough. Um, you know, but but he's got six other seasons of evidence that suggest he's a pretty good pitcher. 
He's 28, 29 years old. He's in great shape. There's no reason to think that this is a cliff he has fallen off for good. So I expect him to be better. Is he going to be a 3-2 ERA guy? I don't know, but I don't think he's going to be a 5-23 guy like he was last year. And, and you know, it's good they've had a whole off season to to work at it. Last year was a little bit weird for some guys with the lockout and the shortened spring. And, you know, maybe he was feeling a little bit of the pressure of the contract he signed. I, I don't know. But I, I, I think there are several reasons to expect him to be better this year than he was last year. Dan, my ears perked up a little bit talking or uh, hearing John Schneider talk about, you know, the home run jacket and what should be celebrated and how, you know, he's not against the home run jacket, but there are other things to get excited about and to really, really prioritize other than just the home run ball. Um, it's It seems like this team is going to be much more John Schneider than the one that he inherited. I wonder how much you think Schneider and Schneider's wants and needs and preferences help shape this offseason. Uh, that's a good question. That's a, that's a tough one to answer, but um, I, I think it's a part of it. It's the style of play that I know he liked and managed accordingly in the minors coming up. And again, with a full year of Merrifield and the additions of, of Varsho and Kiermaier, you've got guys who can play different styles. Um, and, and I think Schneider likes that. And I think also the front office probably had seen they had gone as far as they could with the, the team, the kind of team that they had. Like for two years, the Blue Jays were seen as super talented, really fun, but probably a little bit underachieving. And, you, you know, we always talk about the Vladdy Bow window, and there are three more years, hopefully more, but three more years for sure on that window. And I think probably everybody in the room, whether it was Schneider, Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, everybody probably thought, we got to tweak some things. And, and I think John, I know John Schneider will, will love this kind of team. And I think fans are going to love it too. Like home runs are great and fun and they win ball games. I'm not discounting the home run, but I, I think we're going to see again, a different brand of baseball at times, you know, in the middle of the order, the thumpers are still going to thump, but um, in other parts of the order, I think you're going to see different ways of trying to score runs that play to the strengths of this team. And I, I think they're going to be able to do it. And, and I want to go back to eight, nine for a second. If Merrifield, you know, he, he was not himself when he first came over in September, he was great. If Kiermaier can stay healthy, those are two big ifs. But if those things happen, I think that sets up the top of the order to have a big, big season. If there's all kinds of, you know, traffic and, and first to third base stealing and runners on base at the bottom of the order, that just makes guys like Springer, Bow and Vladdy that much more dangerous. Lots to look forward to with Blue Jays spring training, but we got to ask you quickly about college basketball, which you cover on ESPN, of course. Um, NCAA tournament right around the corner, two weeks from Selection Sunday. Give us the sparks notes of uh, the lay of the land right now in college basketball. I'm looking for a team, Dan. I'm looking for a team. You're looking for a team. Well, you don't want to listen to me then. I, I, <laughs> I call games better than I pick games. I'll tell you that. So, But it, it's not a crazy wide open year. Like I think there are probably six, seven, eight teams um, who can win it? Um, Houston would be there. Kansas would be there. I think Baylor, UCLA, Arizona is going to break my heart, but I'll put them on the list as well. Um, Texas is very good, and they got a, a Toronto guy, Marcus Carr, uh, who's a great player there. Alabama is very good. That's about it. Maybe Purdue. I'm not sold on Purdue winning a national championship, all, although they've had a great year. But it, it's a really fun season, and it's going to be chaos in the tournament like it always is because it's one and done. You know, uh, survive in advance is is all you're trying to do. But um, it, it's, it's, 
I, I've been blessed. I love, love, love doing this. The only downside is it keeps me from going to Dunedin a little bit earlier, but I'll, uh, I will, I will think about Dunedin as I'm shoveling my snow as soon as we get off the phone here today. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, best of luck with that. Uh, yeah. thanks for, for bearing with us through those little technical issues. Appreciate it. Um, it was great to chat with you, Dan. Glad to have you back in the mix and excited for this season ahead. All right. Me too. Talk to you guys again soon. That was Dan Schulman, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer at Sportsnet and College Basketball on ESPN. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That was fun. He could give us a team. He knows. He gave us about 10, so pick one on of us. those. That's true. I'm excited. Um, we do get some NCAA picks now coming in the text line for Wake and Rake. So. Oh, really? Oh, oh we, yes, we do. We do we need, like, today. we need to build the trust, though. We build the trust with a few individuals. We need it. to build the trust. Did it. Yeah, so the handicap was a bit like, oh. <laughs> we are rolling one for one with those picks. Um, sounds like we're all good. The radio is working appropriately. It's I hope just so. the I'm fun still a little of, skeptical. The fun of live radio, folks. We're okay. We did get lots of texts in that it all sounded great. So, other than my analysis, I think it sounded great. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, we got Anthony Stewart on the other side of the break, our sports analyst. Um, the passion is back. He's making his what are those cutout head things on Twitter. You put the head, you put the face in the hole. I don't know what he calls it. Photoshop. It's a crop, I guess. It's a crop, but he's, he's putting Ryan O'Reilly on everything right now. So you know the passion's back when Stewie gets the Photoshop fired up. Mm-hmm. We'll ask him about that on the other side of the break. It's the Fan Morning Show with Justin and English.